Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Warning, this episode is not for little ears, contains explicit content. Listen with caution. The Creature in Your Mind Ever tried to figure out what that thing that always lurks inside your mind was? Haunting your dreams? Eating you in your nightmare? Now, you can finally face him. Talk to him. But be careful. Who knows what can happen to you? It must be a new moon night in December, when it's exactly 1.28 in the morning. You must go to bed wearing plain white clothing. The same rule applies to your bedsheets. If you don't have any white bedsheets, don't put them on your bed or the ritual won't work. Lay down, act like you're sleeping, but I suggest you do not sleep on your back because it might be more painful. Close your eyes and wait until you start to hear whispers coming from behind your door. When you start to hear those frightful whispers, say in a low voice, Come to me. I want to talk. If done correctly, the door will open, and you will suddenly fall asleep. Otherwise, you will just sleep normally. While sleeping, you will instantly wake up inside a small room with two windows in opposite walls. Outside the windows, there are endless night skies raining blood both up and down. There's nothing but a table, two chairs, and blood. Blood everywhere. Act like you don't mind that. Not at all. Just get the closest chair and sit down. Say confidently, I'm here. The door in the other side of the room will open and it will come. A creature that will have an unspeakable appearance will appear, but somehow you will feel like you're just facing the thing you most are afraid of. Whether it's a person, an object, or a place, just stare at the creature as it approaches and sits down. Don't panic. It won't hurt you. At least not physically. The creature will start to talk. His voice will give you shivers that even your soul will feel. But act like you don't mind. Just listen. It will talk about the secrets of your life, your future, and will speak about the scary truth of existence. You still have to avoid reacting despite how unsettling and utterly frightening it is. Otherwise, it will attack you. And you will die in your sleep. Once he stops talking, you will know. He will lean his head on his right fist. You shall say at this time, I understand. Am I worthy to know? He will ask to see your hand. Show it. Do not disobey. If you do correctly, he will put something in your hand. You can't tell what it is at the moment. But when that happens, you will wake up. And it will be exactly seven in the morning. You will notice something in your hand. It will be closed. Open it. Do not worry. Yet. You will see what the monster placed in your hand. It can be one of these four possibilities. If you see a quarter in your hand, every night will give you a very pleasant dream. 
if you see a little rubber duck, your dreams will be memories of your childhood. If it's a little key, you will be able to see your friend's secrets through your dreams. But if there's nothing at all, the next time you sleep, you will never wake up again. The effects of the objects last exactly six days. After that, your nights will get back to normal. But I shall tell you, during these six days, never, never get rid of those objects. Always take them with you. All the time. The creature knows what you're doing. Justice is pain. He is so sorry. So, so, so very sorry. But there may be nothing he can do now. The child is laid bare to rest, and the father is left alone to grieve. It is his fault, and he knows it. But that does not stop the tears. He gave the molester a pathway, a means to the end of his son, and the beginning of their pleasure. If only he could have seen the signs. The molester is a murderer. A beast of the most devilish sort. He must be eliminated and put away for his crime. The father reasons. And so he finds him, binds him, gags him, so that his screams may stay silent. And then he works. His tools are all there and are happy to assist him. He takes the bolt cutters first, removing the perp's socks, so that a foot may be exposed. And then he sandwiches a toe in between the blades. A clench, a pop, a muffled scream. The same sequence repeats and repeats and repeats. They will never walk the same again. Reaching out, a cleaver is taken in his right hand. He grabs the molester's left. Their head shakes vigorously, his nods confirmingly. A couple teasing, grazing slices on the junction where the forearm and biceps connect. Tendrils of blood. He stares at the cuts in anticipation. The blade is risen and strikes down and down again. Blood is further leaking out onto the concrete floor as the blade is shakingly risen once more and falls hard. The severed half of the arm flops onto the ground and twitches violently before ceasing movement. Ten or so painkillers are taken. The coup de grace awaits. A box cutter lies in his right hand, trying to ease the blade as it's raised to their throat. It shakes and shakes. He kills the jitters and thinks on his actions for a second. Will this bring him back? Is this right? What about the others? They stare ahead. He does too. Their eyes do not meet but are fixed on the same thing. Let it end, please. This is too much for us to bear. He plunges the blade into his throat and does not slice, but carves. Deep slicing as the box cutter is forcefully dragged into and across his throat. He feels his life leave and grow weaker by the second. His skin part and sever and ooze blood from a gaping fatal wound. He can pinpoint the exact moment he slices through his vocal cords. The deep slit is done and he falls onto the floor dead and happy. Justice for his son has been served. 
If only he had killed that side of himself in time. If only. He is so sorry. So incredibly sorry. sorry. The Girl in the Photograph One school day, a boy named Tom was sitting in class and doing math. It was six more minutes until after school. As he was doing his homework, something caught his eye. His desk was next to the window, and he turned and looked at the grass outside. It looked like a picture. When school was over, he ran to the spot where he saw it. He ran fast, so that no one else could grab it. He picked it up and smiled. It had a picture of the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. She had a dress with tights on and red shoes, and her hand was formed into a peace sign. She was so beautiful he wanted to meet her. So he ran all over the school and asked everyone if they knew her or have ever seen her before. But everyone he asked said no. He was devastated. When he was home, he asked his older sister if she knew the girl. But unfortunately, she also said no. It was very late. So Tom walked up the stairs, placed a picture on his bedside table and went to sleep. In the middle of the night, Tom was awakened by a tap on his window. It was like a nail tapping. He got scared. After the tapping, he heard a giggle. He saw a shadow near his window. So he got out of his bed, walked toward his window, opened it up and followed the giggling. By the time he reached it, it was gone. The next day again, he asked his neighbours if they knew her. Everybody said, sorry, no. When his mother came home, he even asked her if she knew her. She said no. He went to his room, placed a picture on his desk and fell asleep. Once again, he was awakened by a tapping. He took the picture and followed the giggling. He walked across the road when suddenly he got hit by a car. He was dead with a picture in his hand. The driver got out of the car and tried to help him, but it was too late. Suddenly, he saw the picture and picked it up. He saw a cute girl holding up three fingers. Clay. One night at around 6 p.m., I was bored beyond comprehension. I decided to head over to my computer and play some Minecraft. There was no way I was going to play vanilla, so I lurked for a few minutes on the forums. I came across a mod called the Clay Soldier mod. I installed it and proceeded to play it. After an hour, it got boring. I knew the only way to have fun with it was if I built a big arena. And I was too tired to do that. I wanted something hands-on to do, so I headed over to my local dollar store. I searched the aisles up and down until I found what I went there for. Modeling clay. The last package, too. I paid for it and left. When I got home, I got started right away. I got some old newspapers and spread them out across my dining room table. I opened the package and cut a good-sized piece of the big brick of clay. I made some little men and a malnourished horse. I made the body too skinny. With a couple of clay planes. I was playing with clay until about 10.34pm. I decided to hit the hay and call it a night. I packed the clay together and put it back in the bag and left it on the table. I took a shower and went to bed. Before I went to bed, I remembered I didn't have work the next day, so I had more time to model with the clay. The next morning I woke up thinking of all the fun I would have. 
But then I got to my dining room table. Over the table was what looked like a battlefield. White men were in running position, some were torn in half. Red clay was seeping out of the torsos of the torn men. One clay man made of red clay was in the middle of ripping a white clay man in half, but he was frozen. I was half in shock, half chuckling. I looked around my house for a person because I thought someone broke in and played with my clay. I shrugged it off and got a closer look at the clay carnage that went on. I saw the damage and just decided to clean it up. None of the clay got mixed together, not that I could see. I put all the white clay back onto the big brick and put all the red clay into a sandwich bag. I was about to put the clay somewhere away from the table when my girlfriend called me. We talked for a bit and we decided on going to the movies. I forgot about my original plan for the clay and just put it back on the table. After going to the movies and dropping off my girlfriend, I returned home. What I saw this time was uh, even worse. White clay men were now completely dismembered. The red clay was all over. This time, there were more red clay men than white. What I also noticed was that the clay in the bag was now two-thirds red clay. I groaned. Not because of fear, but because I had to clean all this up. I was really starting to get annoyed. Again, I looked around my house in every nook and cranny, trying to find someone or something responsible. Nothing. I just jammed all the clay into the bag and left it there. I was hungry and tired from picking clay off the floor and table, so I just decided to go out to eat, but not before putting up a camera. When I came home, I was expecting something horrible to be on the table, but no. This time, there was red clay spelling out words, bed, closet. Was what the clay spelled out, at least. I gulped and knew something horrible was waiting for me. I walked to my room and turned the lights on. I decided I wasn't going to be like some horror movie cliche where the idiot opens the door slowly and dies. I swung my closet door open and saw something pretty comical. White clay men were hanging by red clay on the pole in my closet where I hang my shirts. There were a total of six I was in the middle of scraping the clay off the pole when I remembered the camera I put up before leaving. I took some more men down and went to the table. I shoved the clay in the bag and grabbed the camcorder. I rewound the used up tape. I saw the clay bag fall down with a slam, with red clay men forming out of clay and six white clay men being pulled out with little red cuffs on their hands. One red man had a long string of clay which was coiled in his hands. All of the claymen jumped off the table. After three minutes had passed, another red clayman came out of the bag of clay with six shorter clay strings. He jumped off as well. Ten minutes later, a piece of red clay was thrown on the table with two red claymen climbing up it. They detached the red clay string and went into the bag. In a couple of seconds, one more man came out of the bag he pulled the entire bag over to the center of the table. I was surprised at this feat because seeing a tiny clay man pulling a heavy bag is pretty impressive. He took more red clay out of the bag and formed them into the letters I saw on the table. He pushed the bag back to its original spot and walked back into it. The recording cut off there. I didn't know what to think. First, I thought I could exploit this magic clay, using it to make myself a big profit, but no. I decided against that. I went back to scraping the last of the clay off the pole in my closet and closed the door. 
I took the clay and put it in the bag. I decided tonight would be the night that they wouldn't get out. The clay in the bag was four-fifths clay now. Only a tiny sliver of white clay was left. I went into my shed outside. I searched for a bit, but I found it. Duct tape. The ultimate tool for men. I closed my shed door and went back inside. The clay bag shifted in place. On the table was your next in red clay. I said, yeah, right, out loud and taped the bag shut. I put the bag in the safe under my desk and closed the door, spinning the combination lock right after. I got in bed and fell asleep, almost immediately. I awoke at around 5am, I could hear a tapping sound. I didn't know where it was coming from, but then I passed by my desk. It was coming from the safe. I forgot about the clay men. I opened it, and from that moment on I doomed myself. An entire army of red clay men burst out of the safe, climbing onto me. They threw clay in my eyes. I was clawing at my eyes and back and chest, but the men kept their grip. I was flailing my arms around in a desperate attempt to get them off me, but nothing worked. I eventually fell out of my second story building. There I lay, blinded and bruised, with a broken leg and one broken rib. Some passerby eventually found me, but all the clay men had fled the scene. I was taken to the hospital by these two civilians, where I was treated for the leg and rib. I was still bedridden though. A friendly nurse came in one day, saying she had mail for me. I greeted her and gave her my thanks. It was a card. It was blank on the front and back. I opened it and it read, Get well soon. Underneath the lettering, was a blot of red clay. Bed of Sorrow The Bed of Sorrow is a legend born from many ancient ghost stories and folk tales that have, over time, become merged into the story we know today. It is practiced in small numbers by those who either believe in its supposed power, or who simply seek a thrill in the manner of other haunted games such as Bloody Mary. The legend states that the bed of sorrow was used by a poor soul, long since departed, who would weep day and night into the sheets, unable to be consoled as they withered away in that bed, never leaving not even to eat, drink, or relieve themselves. In time, the inevitable occurred, and the tragic figure died, still weeping. Although they were removed from the bed and given a burial, the bed itself would begin to exhibit unnatural properties, such as the once white sheets turning a shade of red. A feeling of continual dread surrounded the bed and thus, if the story is to be believed, it was destroyed in an effort to end what many believed was a curse left behind by a restless spirit. As with such stories, however, the bed is said to somehow materialize even to this day and those who seek it out are said to find any abandoned house and search for a single room with a red door that appears locked. Knocking on the door twice opens it, and the explorer may enter. Upon doing so, they will notice the room is completely empty with no furniture or windows. The only object to be found is a single bed in the middle of the room with red sheets. This is when the explorer has a choice to leave the room and never return, 
as many do, yet if one dares to proceed, they may close the red door behind them and make their way to the bed and lay down on it, making sure to lay on top of the sheets. As they lay on the bed, they must close their eyes and remain deadly still. The sound of weeping will fill the room and the sound of knocking will come from the red door. One must keep still and never open their eyes no matter how loud the weeping gets or how violent the knocking becomes. The bed will seem to shake, but once again, one must not open their eyes nor move. Eventually, the shaking will stop and the room will go silent. At this point, a voice will whisper from the dark. It is dark. At that moment, one must open one's eyes and leave the room, being sure to close the door behind them and not look back. One must continue to exit the house and head back home without looking back or talking to anyone or anything on the journey back. Should a figure in red appear at any point during one's journey home, run and do not stop. Should a figure in white appear, however, keep walking and under no circumstances begin to run. Should one make it home, immediately go to bed and sleep. When one awakens, all feelings of doubt and grief will vanish. The story claims the bed of sorrows shall take away one's troubles for up to seven days following the encounter, but should any of these steps be missed or broken, the weight of one's grief and doubt will increase tenfold every day until one can successfully complete the tasks. And our last story, The Binding Mask. Daniel has stayed at Gerard Ripley's hideout for weeks now, sleeping in the clinic, exercising in the gym, and visiting the garden when he needed to unwind. His body was fit and healthy, but there were still problems. Ripley had some of his top men pay him visits in order to help him with his recovery, but due to the abuse he had suffered at the hands of his former captors, he continued to suffer flashbacks and nightmares. He also had trust issues. Ripley was smart enough to know this, and during one evening visit, he told Daniel, I can't say that I blame you, but I've noticed you're still suspicious of us. Daniel replied, Like you say, you can't blame me. Even though you and other members of Basilisk have helped me, I can't shake the notion that I'll be betrayed. So you want something to prove that I don't have ulterior motives? That's understandable. I thought that might happen, actually, which is why I brought this up to the clinic. Ripley went to the cabinet, brought out a mask and a small vial, and set them on the table next to Daniel's bed. The mask looked metallic, had loops towards the back with straps attached to them, and resembled a leopard's head. However, the leopard's eyes were blindfolded and there was some kind of gag in the mouth. I found this artifact and, and the formula for the powder that goes with it in Pakistan explained the Iguana Man. It's called the Binding Mask. Daniel began to grow alarmed. What are you going to do to me? Ripley opened his mouth to reply, but the henchman codenamed Pathos told him, I'll take this one. Ripley gave a nod of understanding. Daniel looked at Pathos. The codename came from his ability to understand suffering and to inflict it on others, if need be. It seemed to Daniel that Pathos could look into his very soul, that he need not explain his inner demons because he already knew 
Pathos asked him, What's the gas chamber training they go through in basic training? Daniel was surprised by the question, and he figured that Pathos already knew the answer, but when he replied, he found the words spilling out of his mouth. They, they had us put on our protective masks and enter a chamber filled with tear gas. They had us exercise a bit to get our breathing rate up and had us practice quickly removing and redonning the masks. Then they had us remove our masks, inhale some of the tear gas, and file out. They forced you to breathe in tear gas? Why? Were they being cruel? No, they wanted us to make sure we knew how to use the masks if we had to. That's why they call it mask confidence training. Starting to see what Pathos was getting at, he nodded. It was to protect us. What was the worst part? Well, the tear gas wasn't fun, but you recover quickly once you get to fresh air. The fear, the apprehension, was the worst part. He reflected, then managed to smile. I was tough. Tougher than a lot of them. So it was easy for me. Good for you. You see, you suffer for a little while, but there's a benefit. Don't worry about it. He patted him on the shoulder. Daniel turned back to Ripley. As he watched, Ripley detached the portion of the mask with the gag and the end of the leopard's snout, removed a small compartment from the segment and opened the vial. He poured some of the powder from the vial into the compartment, resealed the vial, ignited the powder through the holes in the compartment and allowed it to smolder. He reassembled the mask and moved towards Daniel. Despite Pathos's pep talk, Daniel started to feel fear arise in his chest. Before he could react, Simon grabbed his wrists and held them tightly behind him. The experiment previously conducted on Daniel by his captors had given him increased strength, but the experiment that Simon had conducted on himself had granted him even greater strength. In addition, Esther's pinned down one forearm, while Kim and Dago pinned the other. Ripley bound the mask to Daniel's face and then pressed his hands against his chest to pin him down further. With the mask containing no eye holes and having only two air holes in the snout area, Daniel could hardly see anything. What little he saw was obscured by wisps of smoke. Remembering Pathos's words, he tried to relax. With every breath, he inhaled the fumes from the burning powder, and soon he began to enter a dreamy, tranquil state. Within a couple minutes, he heard Pathos tell the others, He's okay. okay. And felt the arms release him. But by that point, he had stopped caring. His muscles relaxed, his eyes closed, and he drifted further into the altered state. Hours later, when he recovered, his head felt clearer, but his muscles felt tired. Now, in the recreation room, instead of the clinic, he reflected on what had occurred. Under the drug's influence, he had done whatever Ripley suggested that he do. He was thankful that the Iguana Man wasn't perverse. Though he became simply Ripley's puppet, while in his trance, Ripley merely had him do activities that were strenuous, such as traversing up and down the main corridor on his hands and knees, or embarrassing, such as washing his face in the koi pond, rather than perverse, cruel, or self-destructive. He even allowed him to take a shower after his visit to the pond. He saw Ripley standing before him. Are you alright? He asked. Yeah, replied Daniel. There's, There's something you should, you should know. know. That, that wasn't, wasn't the, the only, only mind-control control drug I possess. I also have a drug which works by injection. 
Just a small bit of it puts someone in my total control, unless they're immune to poison. He paused to let his words sink in and continue. I hope this convinces you that I'm not interested in controlling you, in taking away your freedom. If I were, I would have done that from the beginning. I always had the ability. I just have no desire. And so ends the tale of the Binding Mask. Well, listeners, a change in formatting for sure. New years, new styles, and let me know what you think. For all my Patreon supporters, thank you for the well wishes via email and in chat. Last year has been a blast. And here's for the year ahead, eh? Boyo, it's great to be back. So good to be back, actually. When I'm at work, I'm in non-stop meetings, you know, and constantly solving problems and issues, but to come back to you amazing people that take the time to listen, well, this is just something that I love doing, and you are part of it. Today, I decided to focus on items, objects, and curses, which were really fun. Some truly creepy tales. Some can be cheesy, predictable, and even obvious, but that doesn't make a story intrinsically bad. The journey to get there and the expectations these stories bring make up for the predictable endings, I feel. For all you lovies out there considering supporting the show via Patreon, you not only get a 320 kilobytes audio version of the podcast every week, the opportunity to submit your own stories, and you'll also have access to me as an AI artist. Really unique pieces of art that you and the community help create. Naturally, you can even request t-shirt designs that you can put on transfer paper if you like. So, if you want to send some love my way, join up to Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash SFGT and we can have some fun. And now, I want to thank my Rockstar supporters, my tea aficionados, my King Greys, my Monster Muchers, all names I'm considering, including by the way, <laughs> first up, Matto Star. My Ode Knight T Titan, thank you Matto Star for being the rudder of this podcast ship, helping me navigate new content, obliterate overhead costs, fight boredom, and allowed me to literally use artificial intelligence to produce amazing content. With your support, I'm able to continue to grow and keep this show improving. I also received your awesome Christmas email and your wonderful email yesterday. Rest assured, I'm putting time aside this weekend to sink my teeth into them both. Looking forward to it, buddy. Thank you again, man. You really are legendary. Matto, truly unique. Cheers, pal. My white tea warlord, my frontline battalion, that is my lustrously lovely leather. Mate, thank you so much, as always, for your epic support. I'll shout it out from the parapets of my tea castle. You, sir, are ham-mazing with double ham, mate. I hope you're doing great, buddy, and thank you for covering my overhead costs as well. You are epic, Lesser, and don't you let anyone else tell you otherwise, mate. And my lovely breezy leaves that are my tea leaves, the amazing Elgrate Enforcers, I'm lucky enough to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Michelangelo Yacone, divided by zero, Leah Fassig, Alia Arcane, Solstra, and Paige Kramer. Thank you all immensely. When you find that right story, the one that's hunky-dory, the page that strikes you deeply, 
where the feelings reside sweetly. It's the storyteller's job to bring those thoughts to life, and I'm thankful for the time you've spent and my chance to spark that light. Thank you, you amazing listeners, my friends, and my supporters alike, for your time today and the next. Until next time, good night.